Mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to episode number 395 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today is Amanda and Sarah J. Mass. Her new book, House of Earth and Blood, the first in the Crescent City series, is out this week and it is a much anticipated release. This is her first adult fantasy title. We are going to talk about pretty much everything. And we have questions from our Patreon community as well. I think they were probably as excited about this interview as we were. And I cannot tell you what a wonderful time we had talking with Sarah. This is so much fun. So much fun, in fact, that I think Amanda also needs to change her name to Sarah because that would make it more fun for Garlic Knitter to do the transcript, right? I want to say thank you to Emily Fisher, publicist at Bloomsbury, for coordinating all the pre-interview details. And thanks to our Patreon community for not only making the transcript possible, but for also submitting questions, particularly to Molly, Olivia, Danielle, Agnes, Taryn, and Stephanie. Your questions were wonderful, and even if I didn't include all of them, it was truly wonderful to help develop this episode with you. If you would like to join our Patreon community, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges begin at a dollar, and you get to hear about upcoming interviews with super cool people, like the one we have today. And, you know, I don't want to delay getting started. This interview is long and wonderful and so much fun, and I am so excited for you to hear it. So let's do this podcast thing. On with Amanda and me, talking with Sarah J. Mass. I'm Sarah J. Mass, and I am the author of a whole bunch of uh, YA fantasy books, uh, the Throne of Glass series, the Court of Thorns and Roses series, and a Catwoman novel. And um, I've got uh, a new, my first adult novel, Crescent City, House of Earth and Blood, coming out on March 3rd. So yeah, I'm a a writer. Uh, (laughs) I write a lot of books. That's me. Yeah, you know, books that no one has ever heard of. And, you yeah. know, you, you didn't sell out like a whole auditorium uh, theater in, in London for your book tour or anything like that. No, no which no. is amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, like that kind of shit's like crazy to me still. Like, <laughs> like, I feel I, like I look at like I hear that, like I get the news that it's happening. I'm like, who really wants to go see me babble on stage about like abs and like hot dudes and utter nonsense? But I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's amazing, uh, but it's it still kind of blows my mind that anyone wants to come see me. <laughs> uh, many, many people. Many, 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 many. So adult debut. Yeah. First of all, I want to say that adult fantasy novel is my second favorite unintentionally naughty term, my favorite being adult services librarian. Um, Adult fantasy novel sounds like it could go in many directions. Oh, Mike, I mean, you don't even know. I've actually had one person in the past. um, It was some dude, some like old ass Of course it was. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I can tell you so many stories about like the dude things that have been said to me when I describe my writing. Um, but when this was years ago, um, and when I said I write teen fantasy novels, he was like, what, <gasps> what kind of fantasies? Mm-hmm. And I was like, the like ones like Frodo and Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like, what kind of fantasies are you talking about, bro? Um, Ew. Yeah. And so like he literally like he went to like a very strange, uh, like sexy place with my teen fantasy books. <laughs> Um, who I guess had never heard of fantasy as a genre before. Um, 
But yes, this is my adult fantasy novel that does actually have a bunch of uh, sexy times, um, <laughs> but um, is, yeah, definitely hardcore, like real fantasy, not just sexy ones. What was different about writing this versus earlier books? Like, is there a, did you notice a, a difference in addition to the sexy times um, between writing this and your prior series? Not really. I mean, I think there's, I've been asked this question a lot, um, you know, as I've been doing media for Crescent City. And um, I've really been reflecting on, you know, why people keep asking me, what's the difference between writing YA and adult? Um, and for me, there's there wasn't much difference beyond the fact that I could get away with saying fuck like 10 times on a page if I wanted to. Um, <laughs> I mean, there were so many fucks in this novel. that I actually, Yes! My editor and I had to go through it and just like switch it up every now and then for some variation. <laughs> Did they like um, control F for fucks? And they're like, Sarah, <laughs> we're, we're clocking 500 fucks in this manuscript right now. Yeah, I mean, we just like, but it was like cool because I, it was, you know, one of the first times that I just was like, fuck this, fuck that, motherfucker, blah, blah, blah. And like, I didn't like, I wasn't like, uh oh, can I get away with it? And instead, the issue is just finding some variation of, you know, square words. <laughs> um, but I mean, there wasn't much difference. And I think there's kind of this misconception out there that writing young adult is easier and simpler than writing adult novels um no no yeah and like i mean so many you know ya books are just as complex um and deep as adult books out there um and when it came to writing crescent city i mean my process was basically the same as what it was for my young adult books you know the deep dive into characters into the world um you know building the romance um so i mean I, i guess it sounds a little like silly, but like really like the only thing that um, was different was, you know, the cursing. And then, I mean, my, my Court of Thorns and Roses books have, are, are definitely for an older audience. Uh, I mean, I originally sold those as new adult, um, but they, new adult didn't really become like a thing in a, like a section of Barnes and Noble. So um, my publisher was the one who made the decision to shelve it in YA Um but the content in A Court of Thorns and Roses is very graphic. I mean, I when the second book in the Court of Thorns and Roses series came out, I mean, there's a like three day sex marathon in that book. <laughs> well I, played, by the way. Sounds like my President's Day weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually so my family, like oh god, god, god bless them. My family you know, reads my books, like my parents, my grandma, they all read my books. <laughs> um, I mean, my dad and I have this understanding that like, you know, he just skips over those pages. <laughs> but, so when the second Court of Thorns and Roses book was about to come out, um, I called my grandma and I was like, grandma, I'm going to send you one of my copies. Um, but I just want you to know that there is some very explicit sexual material in this book. And my grandma was like, well, that sounds right up my alley. (laughs) Please tell me the page numbers. Oh, my God. I was like, my whole life is a lie. Like, who are you? Who is this woman who, like, like loves raunchy romance? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, those books had, like, you know, a lot of sexy times content. Um, So, I mean, even the content in Crescent City, I think, is on the same level as what's in the Court of Thorns and Roses book. 
um, even some of the later Thorn of Glass books. So, I mean, that wasn't much of a shift for me. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, it really wasn't that much of a, a big change. I did have a question. This was not on the list. So apologies, yeah, yeah. but it came up. So while two trains, <laughs> two trains are leaving. State. Yeah. We're going to, we're, we're just dropping in math. Uh, you mentioned uh, A Court of Thorns and Roses. God, it's always a mouthful when I try oh my. to okay, say well, we, we call it, we call it, I call it Akatar. Akatar. Okay. Yeah. So does the internet. That's very yeah. handy. <laughs> um, I will, in my brain, I never know how to pronounce that uh, uh, acronym. So. Yeah. Yeah. Akatar, Akamath, Akawar, Akafat. <laughs> Um, but the, that series is getting new covers. I yeah. saw. Um, and they look more adult. Is that like kind of like a conscious decision to be like, Hey, yeah. this could possibly be shelved in the adult fantasy sci-fi section. Yes. Yeah, so that's, that was actually my, I mean, my publisher and I have had many conversations over the past few years. Cause I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard this from other writers, but you know, we're constantly, looking years down the road at, you know, what is going to be coming out. And, you know, like for me, like I know what's coming out in like 2024 at this point. Um, and we knew that the upcoming um, Akatar book, the Nesta novel, which I read through your questions, and it seems we have a lot of people wanting to know about that book. Um, <laughs> that book I knew from the start was going to be firmly adult. And when I got the idea for these Akatar, I guess, spinoff novels slash continuation of the series. Um, I wanted them to be adult. I didn't want them to be shelved in YA anymore. And so the decision to repackage the, um, the Akatar book, the earlier Akatar books um, with, you know, adult covers or what I guess the industry considers to be more adult covers um, is kind of the setup for the Nesta book um, being released you know, as an adult novel, um, and I hope my publisher doesn't mind me talking <laughs> about the inner <laughs> workings of the decisions. Um, but yeah, so they wanted to release them um, before the Nesta novel comes out, um, just to kind of hopefully, God willing, uh, introduce me to a new, you know, adult fantasy audience, um, and then you know maybe give readers of the series a chance to reread the books with exciting new covers. Um, and it was like, I mean, they, my publisher came up with the idea of um, having tattoos featured on the covers, um, which cause tattoos are, I think in all of my books at this point, mm, <laughs> um, especially in the Akatar ones. Um, and so we spent, you know, couple weeks or maybe even months trying to find the right tattoo artist, you know, like browsing on Instagram um, trying out like different styles. And then we found these guys, um, I'm blanking on their name right now. Cause I just did this crazy like boot camp workout and <laughs> shaking, right. I'm literally sitting at the table. Like my limbs are jelly right now. And so is my brain. Um, but we found these guys um, who are based out of Switzerland, I want to say. Um, and their art was just fantastic and kind of captured the mood of the um, Akatar series, and they actually read the books um, and loved them, which means a lot to me when you know a cover artist actually takes the time to read the material they're creating the art for. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm so happy with how they turned out, and I've just got 
the final art for A Court of Mist and Fury, um, which I guess we'll be revealing soon, but it's really fucking awesome. Um, so yeah, it's been like exciting to see them kind of repackaged in this new way with this cool color scheme. Um, yeah. And hopefully, hopefully people like them, um, as much as I do. I think just focusing on tattoo art is such a brilliant maneuver because it also sends a very clear signal of the age line. Mm -hmm. That's so brilliant. And I'm sure we have a, we want to ask you about fan art, um, do you do you have like a, a a collection of people who have tattooed your work on themselves? I always find that to be such an incredible compliment. Oh my god! I mean, the tattoos when people show up to my events with tattoos of quotes from the books or you know illustrations, um, you know, it's just like tattooed onto them. Like I, I mean, it's it's still a little overwhelming for me because I mean I don't have any tattoos. As someone who writes about a lot of tattoos, <laughs> I have zero. Um, and I think I probably have tattoos in my books because I am so scared of getting one myself that like without <laughs> all my fantasies of getting cool tattoos. Um, but so, I mean, you know, the, the act of permanently inking words or images onto their body from my books, you know, that, that is huge. Um, and that, I mean, it touches me. I mean, it, it moves me so deeply that someone wants to do that. I mean, I've had people come up to me at events and have me just sign my signature on their body, um, like literally take a Sharpie and like sign on their arm or their back. And then they've gone to the straight to the tattoo parlor where the artist would, like, I mean, as far as they told me, would just ink over like what I had written on their skin. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, that. I mean, and, but then there's so much pressure with that because I'm like, shit, like, what if I fuck up my signature? On <laughs> and, and then, like, sometimes, like, their skin's a little sweaty. Um, and, <gasps> like, the Sharpie, like, well, like, like, it's not, like, a smooth, easy surface to write on, like, you oh, know, like, no. like, like, sweaty human skin. And so I'm just, like, in, like, my hands are already shaking from the pressure and then the surface is an <laughs> ideal. Um, and so it's just, it is so stressful for me, but also, like, so freaking cool that, like, someone wants my, like, shitty-ass signature on their body. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it is. And then, I mean, the fan art, I mean, you're seeing, seeing anyone, I mean, you know, anyone take the time to be creative with my books and, you know, express their enjoyment and love of the books through their own creativity. I mean, that, that's amazing to me. I mean, I, I mean, I, I like now that I have a baby, I'm barely online these days just cause I'm either working or with my son. Um, but I mean, I get sent fan art periodically just from like awesome friends of mine or um, readers that I've come to know quite well who've just been like, hey, check this out. And I mean, it blows my mind. Like it, it blows my mind, especially when someone captures a character so perfectly, like just how I saw them in my head that I'm like, it's, it's, it's like, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't have the word to describe how, <laughs> how cool that part of the job is for me. I I cannot imagine, especially because it's, I believe I read this in a completely different um, subject uh, uh, genre, but the, the idea that creating in response to the things that we love is a fundamentally human thing to do, but it's also the deepest level of engagement that when you are so moved by something, you are you are driven to create in response mm-hmm. is like a fundamental human connection. And it's so cool that your readers are, are connected with your books like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that just, 
I mean, it, I'm like literally like struggling for words to convey. Like, <laughs> I, I find that, especially since, you know, like, I, my, like people always ask like, what's your daily you know, writing schedule? Like, like, where do you work? What's your like office setting? And like, no one understands is that like, I write in my like, you know, spandex yoga pants and like a dirty old t-shirt with my hair in a scrunchie, like unwashed for five days. Like I only wash my hair when my scalp hurts. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> when, like you like put your hair up in a ponytail and you're like, ow, like what's happening here? Like that's when I'm like, oh shit, I need to shower. Um, but I mean, I create in such a golem like um, <laughs> that I mean, it's just, words. <laughs> but it's just, it's really like cool to see, you know, my work go out there into the world and then kind of come back to me in a different form, like in the, in the form of fan art or music or people have made, you know, short films or, you know, any, any kind of creative medium. Um, it's just, that's, that's really amazing to me. So what is the, the, the abbreviated hashtag for Crescent City House of Earth at Blood? Is it CC Heb? Heb CC? Heb, Heb CAC? Wait, Heb CRAC? I have no, I, I have not gotten to the point. Of thinking, Heb CRAC. I mean, I've, I've been manually like typing out like hashtag Crescent City, hashtag House of Earth and Blood. And it is getting really fucking old at this point. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I write up like all of my captions in like a, like a note before I post it on Instagram and like it doesn't autofill. So I have to like make sure like each thing is correct. Um, yep. But I feel like, yeah, ha- House of Earth and Ho, 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 I don't know. This is a so, very difficult decision. So what was, what led you into the CC Hoab world? <laughs> what was your point of entry for this for this story? I want to ask you about it. I have so many questions from our Patreon community yeah. about Akatar and Nesta and Nesta. And in fact, one of my questions for you was, "What is your most common question from readers?" And I think I already know the answer to that oh, one. Yeah. I mean, nowadays it's just Nesta this, Nesta that, Cassie and this, Cassie and that, um, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, so with Crescent City. Um, I mean, I got this idea years and years ago. Um, and I mean, I was a big fan and writing, you know, epic high fantasy at the time. But one of the things I probably read the most um, is paranormal romance, urban fantasy. Like, I love them. And I, you know, massive fan of J.R. Ward, Nalini Singh, Karen Marie Moaning. Like, I mean, I could go on and on. And like, I mean, those authors are my idols. And I mean, when I would read their books, I just was like, damn, like, I wish I could write. Like, you know, like I had no ideas, you know, for a paranormal romance, urban fantasy type of book. And so, you know, I just stayed firmly in my epic fantasy, um, old school fantasy type of thing. But then like a couple of years ago, I was, I guess it was more than a couple of years ago. I was on tour for one of my books can't remember which one, um, but I was on an airplane flying between stops and I was listening to this piece of music from um, the Gravity soundtrack, you know, that movie with Sandra Bullock where she's yeah. in space. It's one of my favorite movies ever, by the way. I have never sobbed so hard in a movie as I did at the end of Gravity, uh, like literally to the point where the seat was shaking, like my entire <laughs> row was shaking with me because I was like, 
physically convulsing with sobs. Um, but that's a whole long story about like, you know, how it moved me and whatever. Um, but I was listening to this piece of music from the soundtrack on this plane. Um, and all of a sudden I just saw this scene play out in my head, um, that wound up being the climax of the novel, which I can't even speak about without spoiling it. Um, and I had no idea who these characters were, what this world was, but I saw this moment play out like, like a movie in my head. And I, in the middle of the airplane began crying. And in case it isn't clear already, I cry a lot. I'm a very, (laughs) I cry all the fucking time. Um, I just get very moved by things. Um, but I, yeah, I heard this piece of music and I saw this scene like pop into my head, um, with these two characters at this pivotal moment. And, um, I couldn't get it out of my head. I, I, I listened like for that entire flight, it was probably like an hour flight between cities. I listened to that piece of music over and over and over and over again. Um, just focusing on that moment. And each time I listened to that piece of music and went through that moment again, um, you know, I zoomed out a little more on the characters, on the world, on what was happening. I began asking myself, who are these people? Like, why are they in this like situation? What is this situation? Um, And I think by the time I got off that plane, um, I had the colonel for Crescent City and I realized, oh shit, like this is my paranormal romance, urban fantasy slash modern fantasy novel that, you know, I've always wanted to write um, that combines so many of the things I love and find to be sexy, you know, angels and vampires and fae. Um, and then in this urban setting, um, and I daydreamed about it for years Um you know, slowly building these characters in my head. And then um, I began writing it in secret for years, um, kind of between um, deadlines for books, or if I had a little bit of extra creative energy at the end of a day of working on either Throne of Glass or Akatar, um, you know, I would just pound out a couple thousand words of it. Um, and I didn't tell anyone really that I was working on it. And, um, you know, after a couple of years, I had probably around 250 pages, very rough pages. Um, But I knew that this was a story I I had to tell. And um, as the Throne of Glass series was, you know, wrapping up and we were looking ahead, again, publishing likes to plan things years and years and years in advance. um, Oh, yes. You know, they wanted to know what did I want to write next? And this was the story. This was the story that was close to my heart in a lot of ways Um, and so I, you know, I think I sold it to my publisher with a one page synopsis and my Pinterest board for it. Uh, (laughs) I'm not even joking. I am not even joking. Um, my, I have not, I have like not used Pinterest in years, but like the, like initially, like very early on, like it was just so like, I had a Pinterest board for it as a way to kind of like, you know, get inspiration and, um, have some idea, like, you know, keep track of some ideas, um, and so I sent my publisher like the one page synopsis because the, the shit that I'd written at that point was not like ready for human eyes at all. Um, <laughs> well, maybe my dog's eyes, but not human eyes. Um, but so I sent them like the one page synopsis. And then I was like, in case like you just need like a sense of the vibe of what I am going to write, like here is my Pinterest board. Um, and yeah, and so we sold it to them and then I actually had to write the damn thing. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, what I wrote initially has now been edited and, you know, rewritten a million times over. But um, I find I think I finally like the, the final version of the book is what, you know, thank God, like popped into my head originally, like what I wanted to capture originally. Um, yeah. So it's kind of been this like years long journey, wow. secret project that became a real project um, and is now like but like a couple of days away from being out in the world um, as a, a real book, which is freaking crazy. Speaking of final versions, I do some work at a, an independent bookstore and we received uh, copies yesterday. Ooh. So I was able to take a look at the, the finished book because I just have an arc of it. And it is stupidly gorgeous. Yes, it like, is. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, I am. Obs- I am obsessed with this book. I am. Um, I know that like a lot, most authors don't get control over their covers. You know how the book looks, but I'm fortunate enough to work with an amazing publisher who um, includes me in the process and wants my involvement in the cover process. And so, I mean, we like basically, you know, God, this process must have started two years ago, um, my husband and I found the artist for the cover, um, by browsing my like old ass Pinterest board for Crescent city. Um, (laughs) and we, yeah, we sent the, like the link to the artist whose work, uh, Carlos, I'm going to butcher his last name. I'm just going to call him Carlos. (laughs) I don't want to sound stupid. Um, but he, like his work was, I mean, the vibe of it and like what he draw, like, you know, like lots of like angels and demons type of stuff was exactly like, it was almost like he reached into my mind without knowing it. Um, and like, that was the vibe I wanted. So my publisher reached out to him and um, contacted him and he read, I think a partial version of the manuscript that um, was still pretty rough. Um, but he created um, the cover based, the cover art based off of that. And I mean, I was so blown away by it. Um, his, I mean, his original art for the cover was so beautiful um, that when Bloomsbury, my publisher, decided they were going to, it would look more striking if they did a red wash on it. Um, like, I thought it would be kind of sad to lose that beautiful original art. Um, so we made the decision to have the original art be the end papers inside. So you've got the red cover with like the, the gorgeous, like red wash to it, which I love, but then you open it up and you've got the end papers with the full, like original, you know, untinted artwork. Um, and then, um, there's a map. I'm a sucker for a map. Oh my God. And then the map, um, my publisher suggested a couple different, um, map artist then I mean this woman just I mean she knocked I mean like we my I sent her a map that was so stupid and horrific like I can't draw I have was no it a hand-drawn map <laughs> I sent her a hand-drawn map that was like this is like roughly where this should go like it was so I should like almost post the picture of the map that I sent and like what she made because yes she took like what I would consider to be an idiot's drawing and made <laughs> an amazing map out of it. Um, and then I love, like there are little secrets with the, like, you know, you take off the jacket 
And then the front of the book is stamped with like this, the gold crescent moon, which I, I, that was me. Like I told them, I was like, the <laughs> moon stamped on there. Um, I, yeah, I, I feel weird taking credit for that, but um, yeah. And so, I mean, every part of the book is beautiful. And then, I mean, we, I mean, we were like very hands-on with, you know, just the title page, like adding in the art kind of in the background of the title page. Um, and then and the like the, the paper texture is like very thin. It reminds me of like oh Bible. Paper. Oh my God. Don't get me started. <laughs> I, okay, so I literally, I literally call them Bible pages. Um, and they started after a court of mist and fury came out. That was my longest book to date. And the book was so long that when they printed it on the normal paper, it took up a lot of shelf space. And I mean, these are kind of like the nitty gritty, you know, aspects of publishing that aren't that like fun to explain or talk about. But basically, you, uh, can, you, you this can, is actually fascinating. <laughs> so please don't stop. Okay. Well, you can't fit that many copies. If the book is like three inches thick, you can't fit that many copies on a shelf, um, you know, in a bookstore. So, you know, when the stock runs out, you know, it's, you know, often just left as empty space. Um, or if you have like an end cap, you know, you can wedge in like one, maybe two books instead of, you know, three or four. Um, mm-hmm. And so after Mist and Fury, um, my publisher decided to print on thinner paper so that we could have my long ass books, um, but not have them gobble up all the shelf space. Um, and and so I think the next book that came out was a Throne of Glass book, um, which was even longer than Mist and Fury. Um, so that was the first time we had the Bible pages. And to be quite candid, I hate them. I have told readers <laughs> I hate them. I think my readers hate them. But the reality is, is that certain retailers that I won't name, um, like, you know, won't take books that are over a certain thickness, which is also crazy. Um, again, because of shelf, shelf space and depth. Um, and so, um, in order for me to tell the stories that, you know, the way they need to be told, which is as long ass books, um, you know, we have to kind of compromise and have these Bible pages. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, I, yeah, it's weird for me. I mean, when I was, I'm doing this giant virtual signing for um, Crescent City. I mean, you should see the state of my house. I have like 2000 boxes of books overflowing from every room. Um, But like, I mean, when I was signing the books, I mean, I was so scared every time I opened up the book that I would rip the page um, just because they're very very delicate. My yeah, I'm, I'm worried I'm going to be like a bull in a china shop and just like turn the yes. page too aggressively. Yeah. yeah, wear like a silk glove and delicate. <laughs> like you're going through an ancient manuscript. Um, yeah, but so the Bible pages are kind of, uh, I guess, a necessary evil for, you know, in order for me to be able to tell these really long stories. Um you know, we kind of have to compromise with that otherwise. And I mean, like there was a point. So with Kingdom of Ash, the final Burn of Glass book, um, I mean, we printed on Bible pages for that. Um, but the book was still freaking huge. I mean, that book was so long. 
um, just because you know it was the last book in the series and I wanted to cram in everything that I could possibly you know wrap up. Um, but we then the book was a thousand. It was over a thousand pages by the time it was done, and about three days before it was supposed to go to the printer, I get this email from my editor um, or former editor um, now, but um, saying the book is too long. Um, it has to be under a thousand pages because the glue that we purchased to bind the book can't hold anything over a thousand pages. And if it's longer than that, pages will literally fall out of the book once it's printed. Holy crap. This was with three days and I had everything I wanted in the book. Um, you know, like it was done. It was, I was proud of it. It was perfect in my eyes. Um, and I was like, I don't fucking know what to do. Like, like, what if I just took out all the commas? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we don't so, need punctuation. I mean, I, I was like frantically going through stuff to try and find little like things to cut. Like if there was, if there was a chapter where there was kind of a dangling, you know, three lines on like one page and the rest of it was empty, like trying to find three lines on like throughout the chapter where we could maybe bump that, you know, like to save pages. But in the end, my publisher wound up, I think like tweaking the margins or maybe bumping up the chapter headings a little bit. So that dangling, like they worked some magic. So it clocked in at, I think, 996 pages. That's that like college term paper magic right there. Like change the font. We're going (laughs) to... Oh my god. Well, so I actually do that shit with my manuscripts. They're so long um, that I make the margins like wider so that the page count is lower, even though the word count is still the same, but it makes me <laughs> feel better. Like when I send in the book to my editor and it's like, you know, 800 pages instead of a thousand pages, um, just because I like, you know, made like just widened, <laughs> widened the page a little bit more. Um, yeah, I still I still do that, even though it ultimately has no effect. I mean, the, <laughs> it, I mean, the books are based on, you know, word, like the word, the, the Microsoft Word document that I'm writing and, you know, doesn't impact the, once they lay it out, lay out the book and it's, you know, printed format. It's all about the word count. Um, so, yeah, but these are the glamorous things I've learned over the years <laughs> working as a writer. So it sounds like the the second book in the Crescent series will Crescent City series will be like Comic Sans Eight Point. <laughs> I just took a, a sip of my tea and almost sat it out. Sorry, all over my brand new MacBook Pro. <laughs> Sorry, it's been christened. Is what just happened? Yeah, it's been baptized. We're talking about Bible paper. <laughs> So I am told by the cover copy, by my copy, by many pieces of material about this book that there is searing romance. Okay, first of all, heck yes, a searing romance. What is what kind of romance are we looking at here? Because as you know, we're a we're a romance site. We have a romance readership. Yes, yes. Uh, we we need to talk about that part. Yeah, and yeah. then I have a buttload of questions about. Nesta and Cassian okay, again okay. with the searing, all of the searing, the searing details is what we're looking okay, for here. All right, this is my favorite subject. Um, yeah, I mean, you we guys- like you so much. Please come and be on the show every week. <laughs> I love that. Um, I mean, I literally like all I read if I have time to read these days, which is not that often, thanks to a baby. But I mean, it's always romance, whether it's paranormal, contemporary, historical romance, like that is what I read. That is what I love to read. Um, yes. 
but we could discuss all that in another podcast at another time. <laughs> I'm yes, when you're not on book tour. Um, yeah, but so it, the romance in Crescent City is what I would call like slow burn, but also hate to friends to more. Um, where yes, Hunt hello, Bryce, thank you. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hunt and Bryce, um, you know the, the two main characters, like literally hate each other and curse at each other. And I mean Bryce, um, my main character, she hates you know the alpha male type. She calls them alpha holes. Um, and Hunt is sort of an alpha hole in some ways, but also surprises her in a lot of ways and challenges her ideas of, you know, you know, whether a man, you know, a man being assertive, a, ma- a male being assertive, because he's not a human man. Um, he's an angel, uh, a very sexy angel assassin. Um, but, you know, whether, you know, him giving his opinion counts as, you know, him being an alpha hole. Um, so they have this very, like, I don't know. They're at each other's throats for a good section of the book, but both of them are pretty alone um, when they they meet each other. Um, Bryce, because like most of her friends were murdered, um, and then Hunt because he's this assassin with a pretty brutal past, um, and he doesn't want friends. Um, and the two of them become each other's person. You know, like to quote from Grey's Anatomy, um, like you know, Hunt and Bryce become this dynamic duo together um and i mean the sexual tension is there from the start um but you know it definitely goes from hate to friends helping each other heal from their pasts um to you know hot sexy times um that will continue definitely the arc of the sexy times will continue to greater levels in book two (laughs) Um, I will not spoil what it is, but I'm very excited for some of the sex scenes in book two. And I know that sounds so weird saying it, but um, there will be some like magic involved, like magic <laughs> emotionally, but also like literal magic involved in some well, of it's those Well, it's like the, the, the reins are off and you're just yeah. like, I'm just going to go balls to the wall with this because exactly. I have the opportunity. Exactly. And I mean, like at this point, I've kind of gotten over my family reading my books. So I'm just like, you know what? Whatever. I'm writing the books that I want to read. Well, you know, uh, grandma's into it. So yeah, I mean, at least my grandma will support me. My dad will just rip out those pages and pretend he never saw them. <laughs> uh, cool with me. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the romance and the, and the romance was one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book in the first place because I, I wanted it to be that slow burn hate to friends to you know more than that um like one of my favorite books ever is um alice clayton's Wallbanger. have you guys ever read Ooh, that's book? a good one i love her oh, Hudson Valley series. yeah okay yeah i i okay and like that's one of my favorite like hate to friends like i love how they become like like buddies um to like you know sexual partners <laughs> such an unto fuck buddies <laughs> fuck buddies um and then sally thorne's the hating game have you guys read that one? Oh yes i i've read that book like five times i love that book um that's another one of my favorite like you know hate to friends to more um and then i mean l kennedy's god he's got a briar you was there a doggy 
Do I hear a little doggy? <laughs> That's Zeb. He supports all of your book choices. Okay. He's very supportive <laughs> of all of your favorites. He thinks you have excellent taste and cannot contain himself. Oh my God. Um, well, yeah, Elle Kennedy writes like, I mean, she writes, she's written a ton of romance books. Um, and then she's got this like hockey series, it's like college hockey series. Um, I'm trying to remember the first, the, all the names are like blurring in my head. Don't worry. Um, we'll pull, we'll, we'll list them all. No worries. Oh my God. Um, what's the first one called? It's driving me crazy. Is it the, the, deal? Deal, the deal is the first one um, where that is also like hate to friends to like more. Um, and I, I like, that's like one of my favorite, like tropes, I guess, uh, like aside from the marriage of convenience thing, which like I also love. Um, but yeah, so yeah, the romance in Crescent City was one of my, like the things that I just, I mean, I didn't like plan it ahead of time. Like I'm going to do this kind of romance. It was just, I had these two characters and when I put them in a room together, like that was the kind of romance that unfolded. Um, and it was really, really fun to write. You have so much taste in line with Amanda. I feel like you guys need to just <laughs> recommend books to each other. Yes. Like you, your that. tastes line up perfectly. <laughs> That's great. So I have questions from our Patreon community. When I announced that I was doing this interview, I had this like response of, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Awesome. And I'll just read some of the questions. Um, because they all have a very similar similar theme. And I love that one of my questions, like I mentioned, was, well, what are the things that your readers ask you most? I know the answer now. Yeah. I am aware of the answer here. So Molly wanted to say that she loves Akatar. Oh, thank she you. Wanted to know, she wanted to know how many books are going to focus on Nesta. And Olivia wanted, to, wanted me to ask um, about Nesta and Cassian because it is her favorite ship. And if it was hard to write about Nesta, given the reactions to the character. Nesta's new book is, I guess I'll focus on like Nesta first and then talk about the future plans for the series. But so Nesta, as of right now, I've I'd sent in draft one, what, like back in early January and I have my edits on it, but I'm about to go on tour. So edits are taking a break. Um, but Nesta right now is just one book. Um, and my plan for these Akatar, you know, the, the continuing Akatar series was to have it shift to romance parent, like one couple, like per book. Um, and the first one is Nesta and Cassian. Um, and Nesta from the start, I mean, when she, when she appeared in the series, in the original trilogy, um, I mean, I knew that some people were going to hate her. Some people were going to love her. Um, I wrote her the way she appeared in my head and in my heart. Um, and I had been waiting a long time to write her story. Um, and she, this is actually probably the first time I've had to kind of talk in depth about Nesta's story, but um Writing that book was a extraordinarily emotional thing for me that um, Nesta struggles a lot with her mental health, with facing her past, um, with healing um, herself and learning to love herself and open herself up to other people. Um, and there were some aspects of her journey that, you know, my, my personal life never really works its way into my books, but sometimes I feel like I'd sort out my shit through 
writing my characters in my books, a lot of Nesta's, um, some of her, her issues were ones that, you know, really resonated with me. Um, and it was hard to write, not because I was thinking about, you know, whether people liked her or not, but just because I had to, um, you know, open up that vein and let myself bleed all over the page, basically. Um, and so her journey, um, means a lot to me. Um, you know, the, the romance with her and Cassian is like, you know, there is so much sex in that book. That <laughs> one of, like, so I just got my first edit letter and my editor was like, so do we need all these sex scenes? Uh, yes. Yes, we do. Thank um, you. To give you an idea of how, like, I, I thought I was being, like, I thought I reined myself in with <laughs> no, I'm not even joking because there was a threesome scene in this book that I wrote that was so fucking hot. But then I like I cut it because I was like, no, this is like too much. Like my editor who like, you know, is totally sex positive for books. Like, like I knew I was like, she will like keel over dead if she reads this. <laughs> scene. Um, so I, I refrained from including the like raunchy threesome scene you uh, should still include it as some I, kind of like pre-order bonus oh my god I don't even know if I can release that into the world because it is like <laughs> as filthy <laughs> sex scene as I have ever written filthy in the best possible way but oh my god um yeah but if so our like, votes count for anything we both say yes definitely <laughs> yes Listen, absolutely yes we had a a good review for a book with an alien hero who has mandibles so i think this is nothing you should bring it out yeah okay i mean yeah but so as of right now like i need to not tone down the sex because the content of the sex is fine it's just like there were some i guess like just so much sex that like my editor is like like you know some scenes were not boring to her, but she was like, we could like do something else in this scene instead of them banging. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, so there is like plenty of like sex and, you know, the romance and like, you know, the build to it. Um, but, yeah, but Nesta's emotional journey and how she learns to face these dark and sharp and difficult parts of herself, um, you know, that is something that, it just, it really moved me and was hard for me to write. I mean, I've, I mean, I've not really talked about this publicly at all, but uh, I mean, like I, in the past, this, this year I started going to therapy for the first time in my life. Um, and I mean, I am now a big believer in therapy and medication. I mean, I struggle with, you know, severe anxiety and um, some depressive symptoms as a result of the anxiety. Um, and I found it, I don't know, not strange, but just the timing of it seemed almost faded that I was writing about a character going through all of this. And I'd planned Nesta's journey well before I was going on this journey myself. Um, but I found it, you know, really, it, it helped me in a lot of ways. And I found it, you know, like, I don't know, the fate of the universe or something was playing into it where, um, you know, Nesta was going on this journey um, at the same time I was, you know, finally going on this journey for myself. Um, and I mean, I told you guys about my boot camp that I was just doing this morning. Um, and one of the things that Nesta does that helps with her anxiety and gives her a sense of focus is physical training. And 
an exercise. Um, and I mean, I've been, I mean, I'm a profoundly lazy person. Like I hate moving, but I mean, I've been doing this <laughs> program for like, let's say two months straight. Um, and I mean, I find myself now like, like the, like the night before, like looking at like what's coming up for my workout the next day. Cause I'm like excited to like get my ass kicked and it, it clarifies something in my mind, the movement and the breath and the sweating. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's not to say that like, you know, Nesta's book is like about me. That's not like her journey is still different from mine, but I think it allowed me to get deeper insight into her character, um, to also be going on a slightly similar journey at the same time, um, that she's going through it. Um, so this book, you know, Crescent City was really close to my heart in a lot of ways because Bryce has a a slightly similar situation. Um, but this one really, um, hit home in a lot of ways for me. And I've got a lot of work to do on the book still, a lot of editing to go before it comes out. I think it's supposed to come out in like a year from now, like maybe next February. Don't quote me on that. Um, but <laughs> we've got a lot of editing to do before then. Um, but it's one of those projects that I'm really excited to work on. And I really hope will resonate with readers who maybe are going through similar things. Um, and, you know, hopefully leave them with a sense of hope for themselves and, you know, maybe heal healing and, you know, just, um, I want all my books to leave my readers with a sense of, of hope and happiness and that things can get better. I mean, that's very important to me, actually. Um, well, as someone who goes to therapy every week and has an appointment at two today, welcome. Nice. Welcome to the therapy fold. Oh, man, I love it so much. And it's like I just told my therapist, probably weird to say this on a podcast, but I was like, I really <laughs> look forward to therapy once a week. Um, and just because, and like, I was like, just, just because I have so much that I've realized that I, I need to discuss and work through. And I actually, once I get back from my tour, I'm, I asked my therapist to bump it up to twice a week, just cause I realized like, holy shit, I got, I got a lot of things to tell you. Um, and a lot of things that I need help figuring out. I had never done therapy until this past, what? November. Um, and it's been a gradual life changing thing, um, along with, you know, medication. Um, but I mean, I'm, it's a long road, but it's one that I'm so happy. I finally started on. Um, and I was afraid I mean, for a while to start to like even do therapy. Cause I thought it would mean that I, you know, somehow was weak or and then, like, you know, I was afraid that they would put me on medication. Cause I had heard from other writers that, you know, medication, you know, fucked up your ability to create. Um, mm-hmm. and so I think I, I suffered for a while, um, until it got to a really bad breaking point when I couldn't take it anymore. Um, cause I was so scared of not being able to function, like, you know, like not being able to create if I got put on drugs. Um, meanwhile, I think the medications that I'm on literally saved my life. Um, and they have changed my life. Um, and they have not affected my creativity at all. Um, and you know, maybe it's different for other writers, but I just want to like put out into the universe. Like <laughs> if you are hesitant to go to therapy because you are a creative type and you, um, 
are scared that medication will mess up your ability to create. That was not the case for me. Um, it has not impacted that part of my brain. Um, it has allowed me to be able to create again without these anxieties and fears that were debilitating, interfering with with it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a big supporter of therapy. I- medication. I mean, I also, I mean, I meditate four times a day and I exercise. And so like, I'm doing a lot of like self care things right now to, but I, yeah, I, it's been a, an interesting journey for the past few months. I've done therapy for like most of my life. Uh, but then on the opposite side, I have a younger brother. He's 26. And I remember asking him one time, Zach, would you ever consider going to therapy? Uh, and his response was, why? nothing's wrong with me. I was like, thank you so much, Zach, as someone who goes to therapy every week. Yeah. Um, And that's the thing, like, you know, that's the thing. Like you, I I think I had that mentality, like myself, where I was like- It's a very common stigma. If you feel like, you know, if going to therapy meant that something was wrong with me, and as someone who has, you know, tried to do my best my whole life, admitting that I was not okay, that there was something, you know, that, you know, that I was like suffering, like wasn't, it wasn't a sign of weakness. Um, and yeah, I'm, and I mean, I still, I mean, God, if my parents hear this, this will be the first time that they know that I'm going to therapy. I haven't told my parents yet. I'm sure that's really weird, but like, that's the thing. Like I want to talk about it. Like I want, cause I, I had this misconception in my head that going to therapy, being on medication was a sign of weakness that it would somehow impact the medication would impact my creativity. Cause I'd heard from other writers that it did mm-hmm. and they had to go off their meds cause they couldn't create. Um, and I mean, I'm my family's breadwinner. Like I, like, you know, my, my husband works with me, um, full time. And if I can't write, then like we're fucked. And so like, I was terrified of like, Oh my God, like if I can't write, then what, what do I do? Um, but that wasn't the case for me. And so even if it's, ne- it's like strange for me and I'm sure I using the right terminology, like I've never spoken about like the shit that goes on inside my head and what I've been doing to help myself. But um, I feel like I, I want to speak about it just for anyone who, you know, was like me or, you know, maybe like your brother, <laughs> like who just, <laughs> you know, a sign, like, you know, nothing's wrong with me. I'm fine. Um, well, he's he's an attractive white dude who's never needed glasses or braces or anything in his life. Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't surprised that this was his response. Yeah, and it's really hard to explain the feeling of, oh, thank God I have therapy this week. I know where to put this feeling. Exactly. I have someone to talk to. The feeling of I know what to do with this feeling, and I know who I can get help with it from. I know who I can go to for help. That is the greatest feeling. And it's really hard to communicate that to someone who isn't aware that that's a thing that you can do. Yeah. No. And I, I had no idea until I started going just what, like how, how powerful it would be. I mean, I tell my, I tell my husband everything. I mean, like we are like oversharers in our our family, but like he know like he knows what he know, he knows about the the struggles and episodes that I've had in the past, but I mean he's not a trained medical professional. And this past fall, it, it got to a point where 
Um, like I basically had a two week running panic attack that, you know, oh, it wasn't no. like the panic attack where that like some of my friends have had where, you know, they can't breathe or sitting on the floor. Like it was a more, and I didn't know it was a panic attack until my psychiatrist told me that, you know, like panic attacks don't just have to be like, you know, unable to breathe, you know, sitting on the floor. Like it was like a full body, like sensation, like my body was full of acid um, and, you know, just like crying and flipping out and like, you know, I was, I was a mess and, um, I'd had similar episodes in the past, but ones that had usually gone away after a day or two, but this one wasn't going away. And I was looking ahead to the future and I was like, I, I can't, I can't imagine a future where I have to keep going through this or I get to a point where this just doesn't stop. Um, and I, that was the point where, you know, I've got this, my son now, and I, you know, I decided to go to therapy partially for him to, you know, mm -hmm. get better for him, but also for myself. Um, so, cause I was just, I was suffering and, but it took me a long time to realize that I was suffering. Um, and, but then the act of being able to go into someone and explain what I was going through and actually have someone explain to me what I was going through. Like I, if you had asked me beforehand, like if I had anxiety and depression, I would have said, no, absolutely not. Um, but as I've been working with my therapist, I mean, she's explained to like, you know, she has explained like, yeah, you do have those things. Um, and, you know, like, and giving me ways to, to manage them and face them and understand, you know, what is unique in my brain and, you know, part that causes these things. Um, so, I mean, it's an ongoing journey, but it's one that I am so grateful that I finally started going on. I am so glad that you did. I mean, you've never met me, but I am so very, very glad that you did because it is not worth the agony of thinking, all right, I just have to think my way out of this. Yeah. yeah. I could just think myself into feeling better. No, yeah. you can't solve the problem with the same brain that's creating the problem. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's what I did for years. That is what I did for years until I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, I can think and rationalize and calm myself down. And then I, I stopped being able to do it. Um, yep. Yeah. I have an additional question comment from someone on my Patreon that came in after I sent you the uh, sent you the questions, okay. and I wanted to share this with you because I know that you probably are very well aware that what you do makes a difference. Um, but I also think that it's incredibly important and powerful to share that you can get help for things that are scary and in your mind, and that it, it won't make it worse; it will make it better. Mm -hmm. Stephanie says, um, I would love for Sarah to know that her series has helped me realize that I was in a toxic relationship and it was the first fantasy I've loved as dearly as Harry Potter. Yeah. So good on you. Um, I'm like, I've like got like tears in my eyes right now. I read this question and I teared up. Yeah. Now her question is, do you know anyone who acts like Reese in real life? <laughs> <laughs> um, I know there are wonderful men out there, but Reese is the best hero I've ever read because he works so well with Feyre, so well. Like their plans to save the world, and he encourages her at all costs. It's in just the way she needs him to. Are there heroes that inspired Reese? Anyone in real life? Um, and if you know one, I can connect you with Stephanie. You could set her up. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I constantly, I constantly get asked is whether my husband. Um, 
was the inspiration for Reese because uh, my husband is, you know, tall, dark, and handsome, um, but also incredibly supportive of me and my career. Um, and I always tell readers, like, no, like, my husband does not have wings. He did not inspire <laughs> Reese. But, I mean, like, they, like, literally, like, like, I mean, we found like pictures on Instagram where like people like snapped photos of him, like at an event, like, you know, waiting, like, you know, off to the side of the stage and we're like, you know, real life Reese or something like that. Um, and people, so people refuse to believe that Josh like is not the real life Reese, but in some ways yeah, he is. Um, I mean, I gave him Reese's birthday. I, I gave Reese his birthday just as a like nod to the readers who have... <laughs> Um, but I mean I I think I'm able to write about that kind of relationship because that's the kind of relationship I have with my husband where he is so incredibly I'm gonna cry talking about this but he is so incredibly supportive of me and my career but also me as a human being um and I mean, I couldn't do any of what I do without him. Um, I mean, he's he's my my manager, but also, I mean, he takes care of our son full time. Um, but he's also my my rock. He's the person that you know, if something good, something bad happens, he is that first call I make. Um, you know, he's the person where if I see a, an article on the New York Times, like I call him up and tell him about it. Um, you know, like he he is my best friend. And I know a lot of people say that about their spouses, but he is literally my, my best friend. And, you know, we we will laugh until we're crying at times, you know, over some stupid joke or, you know, something our son does. Um, And yeah. So, I mean, Reese wasn't specifically inspired by my husband, but I think I was able to understand that kind of relationship and, have Feyre and Reese develop that kind of relationship because of what I'm so blessed to have in my life. Um, and unfortunately, Josh does not have any brothers. Um, <laughs> well, he does not even have like a, a single, like an unmarried cousin that I could recommend. Um, I think all of his friends are married. <laughs> so um, unfortunately I got the only one, um, but I mean, I, you know, I think that's, it's so important to find a partner, a romantic partner who is supportive of you. And, you know, Josh knows everything about me, you know, good and bad. Um, And he has been with me on my, my worst days. Um, And he has held my hand through so many hard and awful things that have happened in my life. Um, And, you know, never, never wavered. Um, and he has cried with me and laughed with me. Um, and so for all my readers, like, I hope that they, they find that person for them that, um, you know, that, that, that can be their, their best friend and and their rock. Um, and I, I think that's part of the appeal of Reese is that, you know, he is there for Feyre. He understands what she's going through. Um, he wants her to have, you know, like, you know, to obviously be his mate and his love, but he also wants her to have her own life with her own passions. Um, and maybe subconsciously, you know, 
bits of my own relationship work their way into that. I, I have not like analyzed every single thing that Reese and Farah have done and compared it to like <laughs> my own life. But yeah, I think it ultimately just stems from the fact that I'm I'm fortunate enough to have this marvelous man in, in my life that has allowed me to kind of look at relationships like Reese and Farah's and, um, you know, kind of write, write them. Um, and I, and I love that people, you know, I love, I love that people are like obsessed with Reese because I'm obsessed with Reese. <laughs> yeah. I, You're just writing your own catnip. <laughs> I basically am. <laughs> <laughs> now, Taryn asked me, and I don't know if this is a question you can answer. Um, you use a lot of music. You've talked about how Crescent City was inspired by the, the Gravity soundtrack and you have playlists. How do you discover your music? Do you sort of stumble into it or are there pieces where you're like, this is evoking a feeling and I want to articulate this feeling? Um, I mean, it's, I have like, oh my God, like 20,000 songs in my iTunes library. Like I am a music junkie. I have zero musical talent. Um, I <laughs> love music. Um, to give you an idea of how little musical talent I have. Um, so when I was, from when I was like 11 until I was about 13, 14, um, I took piano lessons. Um, and I made, I made my parents, I didn't make them, but I kind of did. I made them buy me a piano. Like when I was starting, like, like, so they invested in this piano. Cause I was like, yes, I really want to play piano and like be great at it. Cause I love music so much. Um, I was fucking terrible at piano. Um, oh no! You an idea of just how bad I was after three years of lessons with this like piano teacher who was. I don't like talk, like saying bad things about other women because I'm all about women supporting other women. But this woman was like this old ass witch, and not the good kind of witch that I love. Like I think I am like a witch. Like <laughs> I've got my I've got my crystals. I've got my my white sage. Like I literally am like full on like witch, and I love witches. But this woman was like the wicked witch at the West. Like she was so, such a nasty, mean old woman. I hated, I hated her. I hated going to lessons with her. And after three years with this old ass <laughs> cranky woman, um, we had this recital at Stein. I grew up in New York city and we had this recital at Steinway hall in New York. We're all, Oh, the- as you do, no pressure yeah, as we do. And all of her students came to do the recital and I was fucking terrified. Um, and it got worse because these, you know, seven-year-olds were going up and playing like, you know, pieces by Chopin. And I get up, of course. I get up to do my piece for the recital. And do you know what I played in front of all these people and these talented kids? I played My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> and I fucked up half the song. No, my parents no, no, no. like sunk down into their seats. I mean, this was like during the full Titanic craze. Cause like, I mean, I like, I saw Titanic like three times in theaters and would cry myself to sleep over Jack dying. Like I was so obsessed and I like mangled the song. Um, but yeah, I did not play like Chopin or like anything fancy. I played my heart will go on. Um, and so, and after that, I never had a single piano lesson. Um, my parents got rid of the piano. My parents are like, might as well just pack it in. I think we're yeah. done here. <laughs> we're done here. We're done. Um, yeah. So despite that, um, I love music. I love classical music. I love, you know, 
like literally every kind of music. I mean, there's always music playing in my house when I'm working out. Um, and the stuff that I usually listen to when I'm writing is mostly movie scores um, that I usually from movies that I have, you know, watched, but also just from some composers that I know I, I love and I'll, you know, listen to a soundtrack. Um, but I also like, you know, listen to, I guess, contemporary, like modern music while I'm writing as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the music, I, I mostly like, I, it's weird for me to write a scene without music playing. Um, like if I write a scene in silence, it's very bizarre to me because usually music kind of provides the mood, the, I don't know, like some of the action maybe. I think my thing with movie scores is that there's like an inherent storytelling in the music itself because it is literally providing, you know, the, the background to the story that it's being told. So there's something that, you know, connects with my creative brain um, with that kind of music. Um, but I mean, I also, I just listen to everything. I mean, like right now, like, I mean, my favorite band is Churches. I don't know if you've ever heard of that band. They're like, yes, oh, absolutely. I, that's like Churches is my favorite band. But then I'm also like super into like Casey Musgraves and um, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Like, I mean, like, I'm, like <laughs> my music. and then like, you know, Beethoven and Tchaikovsky. And like, I, I listen to like everything and I, I connect to like almost every single kind of music and, um, I mean, I can be listening to, you know, the radio in the car and I'll hear a song and it will remind me so much of my characters or just like sprout this idea in my head that I'll have to like take a like screenshot of the, the song so I don't forget. Um, but then also like, you know, just write down ideas in that moment. Like there was a scene in um, Air of Fire when we were throwing a glass books that was inspired by... Um, Imagine Dragons Radioactive. And when I first heard the, that song on the, the radio, like I literally saw this scene play out in my head. Um, and like, like I just, it's this weird thing that I can't explain because again, no musical talent. I can't sing. I literally can't do anything like with music, but something about it just clicks with whatever brain chemistry is going on with the ideas and um, creates these stories in my head. Do you have any favorite film soundtracks? Um, oh man, there are a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of the Jaws soundtrack, which yeah. oh, good one. <laughs> people have like this weird, like they think it's just that like, but the music, the score itself is actually brilliant. And I mean, I am such a fucking nerd. Like, I mean, I could tell you how the Jaws soundtrack was inspired by Stravinsky's Rite of Spring um, and like the certain notes like that and like Bambi like the Bambi soundtrack like also like Rite of Spring like you know like like, like they're like a lot of the movie soundtracks like you can hear the influence of like classical composers in those that have built these iconic um, like iconic scores I mean in, if you watch Bambi like the the music that plays when the hunters, like when man comes is like so similar to like, you know, some of the, like jaw, like j with jaws, like later on, like, it's like that, like similar, like kind of two note, like pacing thing. Um, and yeah, other favorite soundtracks, the gravity soundtrack, the, like, I also love the signs soundtrack, like from like the M night Shyamalan film. Oh, that uh, movie fucked me up. I love that movie. If that movie is on TV, I always watch it. Um, like that is one, like 
I love like disaster movies. Like I have watched San Andreas like <laughs> 15 times and it's a terrible, like I love The Rock. I love him. Like I love The Rock, but that is a bad fucking movie. And if it was on TV, I will watch the shit out of it. Like it was on TV last week and like I just – put it on and watch the whole day, like with commercials. Like <laughs> I just I love disaster movies. Independence day is one of my, Oh, another favorite soundtrack independence day. Um, but uh, like, I'm not, like that's one of my favorite movies ever. Like I love, like, I guess seeing American cities get destroyed by horrible things. I don't know. I just, I, I love, I mean, that was a joke to any readers. I really don't want that to ever happen to anybody. Um, but I don't know. I love disaster films. Um, and I mean, Twister was on the other night and like that, like, I, I, I've seen that movie like 25 times. Like, I, Twister, I think is actually a fantastic movie. <laughs> I don't Sarah, I wrote, I wrote a college paper about Twister. <gasps> Oh my, can we be friends forever? <laughs> yes. Okay. I love that movie so much. I could quote it and I wrote a whole paper about identical scenes that take place in multiple places. Like when you when you when you first see her and her mom and her dad, mm-hmm. later on there's a there's a scene of another family and they're all dressed the exact same way. So she keeps seeing her family in different parts of the film. I wrote a whole paper about that motif. I love that movie. I, oh my God. That okay. <laughs> I like while we were doing this crazy virtual signing, we had like you know the TV on to pass the time and I put on Twister because it it was you know, I, I needed to watch it. And my father-in-law was like, I was like, have you ever seen this movie? And he was like, no. Like, I don't know. And then like, I was like, I was like, it's it's the best. But then like my mother-in-law was like, we saw this in theaters. Like, don't you remember? He had no memory of it. Um, and then like, I was like, I kept watching like his face to see like if he was into it. No. <laughs> I mean, granted, we were like, you know, packaging books and like putting like the postage on like, you know, the boxes and everything. So it wasn't really like sit down watching, but like he just like, I don't know, like I thought at least when like the sister tornadoes were coming, like he would get into it, but no. Were you like nudging him or like, watch this part? This is the part. This is a good part. Yeah, oh, I, I kept making like subtle little comments being like, ooh, this is a good scene. <laughs> But no, no and I mean, let's be real. Carrie Elwes has the best worst Southern accent oh in the whole God. world. I still get like sad when he dies, but like then I'm it's- also like, yeah, you fucker. Like, that's- <laughs> he's definitely made some strides in the Southern accent department. <laughs> he was in the recent season of Stranger Things, and he played an evil mayor. And his southern accent. I forgot he was in that. Yeah, I I love Stranger Things. The third season, I fucking loved that season. Um, Uma Thurman's daughter is a treasure. Oh my god, she! (laughs) Oh my god, that she was my favorite part of the whole season. And I mean, like, I just she's such a fantastic actress and I loved that character and I love that whole like the the scoop troop is that what they call it like yeah. the whole bond like I that was my favorite part of the whole thing like, I literally have chills right now and I don't know why uh, <laughs> I'm excited talking about the, the scene where Dustin sings the never-ending story uh oh, theme song my was in I, tears with like that was like my okay like 
Never <laughs> it's like one of those movies that I grew up with. So it just like, and like, I used to sing that song, like, you know, to myself, like obsessively. And so seeing that I was like, this is my life, like this like level of humiliation and awkwardness. And that was just so brilliant. I, yeah, I, I loved it. I, I, I like, I want the next season immediately. <laughs> I feel like we've hit this amazing nerdception at this moment. <laughs> This is like the most fun. I'm having the greatest time. Yeah, oh my too. gosh. Oh, I'm so glad. Okay. So I've already, we've already talked a lot. One of the questions I like to ask um, w- when we do an interview, I like to ask, you know, what you do to look after your creative self. And we've already talked about therapy and exercise, mm-hmm. music, and, you know, having having children and wonderful supportive spouses. Is there anything you want to add to that? list or have we kind of covered that yeah I mean the only thing I like to do is I actually I like to take time off from writing every now and then to just let my brain rest and I don't know I mean like I I fully believe in like making sure that I have a life and that's something I've struggled with because you know juggling multiple books a year requires a lot of time um and so I'm still learning you know how to balance being Gollum in my cave unwashed and alone um, with, you know, getting out into the world and seeing things. And um, it's funny because usually if I get stuck writing something, like you know, writing a scene, I'll just, if I go take a walk, it'll just like being out in the world, like will just free something in my brain. Um, oh, yeah. I also take a lot of like baths, like meditative baths where I like put on like Tibetan singing bowl music and like light candles. Sarah and, like, is anti-bath. I am pro bath. And I'm not anti bath because I don't like the concept of being in warm water. I actually love it. I just get cold so easily that I can never stay warm. However, I will park my ass in the shower for a year. Do you know? Okay. So recently, this is the stupidest story of all time. (laughs) We're here for it. Please tell. Okay. So recently, so one night, my son had his bath and then my husband, we put him to bed and then immediately after, my husband jumped into the shower. And we've got one of those showers with, like, a rain shower, then, like, jets coming out of the wall. Like, it's awesome. So he started his shower. And then I started my bath. And, like, halfway through the tub filling up, the hot water ran out. Oh, no! no. And so I got so fucking upset and mad that when my husband came out of the shower I popped my head out of my like little spa bathroom that's what I call it it's not a fancy bathroom it is literally just like this like sad tub (laughs) like one bathroom that no one uses I popped my head out of the bathroom and I was like you motherfucker you used up all my hot water (laughs) and then and then he like looked at me just like what and I was like I have no hot water for my bath for my meditative bath I was like I just put in $50 $50 worth of salts and oils. And now <laughs> I'm going to waste all that money. And so I was like, you should go fill up some pots of water and boil them for me and put them in the tub. <laughs> and so then, and then he just was like, okay. And he walked downstairs. And so I just like sat in the bathroom, like with my candles and like Tibetan, like singing bowls going. Just and just simmering like, in your own like, I was anchor. Just, like, so mad and then like I just was like I, I climbed into my lukewarm tub and I was like this fucking sucks this motherfucker like <laughs> to him 20 minutes later like there's a knock on the bathroom door and I'm like what the fuck I'm like I was like I, I was like I told you not to disturb me during my bath time when like, I climb out of the bath 
And then there he is with a giant like lobster pot full of like water. And he went and did it for me. And I was like, I am such a fucking piece of shit. Like I was was joking. I was like, I was joking about boiling water for me. I was like, oh my God. Like he literally boils it in our kitchen and then like carried it all the way upstairs. Um, And so then like he like dumped it into the tub and then like, it was enough hot water. And by that point, the hot, like more hot water had actually filled up in the house. So I was able to have my hot bath. And then when I came downstairs, he already had a second pot boiling for me. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, like I am such like a You're like, I'm a garbage person. I was like, I am a piece of shit. I was like, I'm the worst fucking person of all time. Um, but like, he knows how much I love my baths. So like, and I guess he felt guilt. Like, I don't know. Like I'm a monster. Like (laughs) I'm a monster when it comes to my baths. Yeah. So that is my bath story. I immediately regret telling that story because it makes me look like a awful person. And my husband is obviously a saint for putting up with me. Um, but I take my baths like very serious, like maybe a little too seriously um but that's you know I kind of when I'm lying in the bath like sweating it out with my like beautiful salts and oils and like my music going and the candles going like I don't know there's like it's like a whole ritual that I have that's like an unwinding of the day and I do some of my, my meditation in the bath um and I don't know I just find it a nice way for me to unwind. Um, and I, I mean, I started doing yoga recently too, and I actually freaking love that. I never thought I would say that in a million fucking years. <laughs> but I love yoga. Um, just cause I think it is at least for my creative brain, a time for my creative brain to almost turn off and the act of breathing and focusing on like what I am doing with my body and being present in every motion just because like I have like my hamstrings are so fucking tight that I need all of my concentration just to like lift my leg towards the ceiling um you know like that is good for me um to see I I love yoga I can conk out in child's pose like I will (laughs) fall right asleep like head to the mat I'm out but like (laughs) during other poses it's like be present but like my mind wanders. It's like, yeah. Do they have condoms for micro penises? Like it's just like this weird <laughs> brain spiral of like things I'm gonna Google when I get out of here. Like, <laughs> well, that's I usually like I usually have to like check my email like five times before I begin like yoga or exercise just to make sure like I'm not like missing anything. And then like once once I start like I just. I forget. And that's, and that's the thing. Like, that's what I found that I find like very addictive. And I love is the being able to forget about everything else. But then my, my mind does wander not to condoms for my, <laughs> um, oh, we were like having, a, I feel like my family, like me and my in-laws and husband were talking about someone like literally last night who had an inverted penis I don't even know. Like, this is how much <laughs> my like me and my husband and like his parents. Like, we are like, every, like I should. How do they know. feel about the sexy times in the books? Then, oh well, the first when my my mother in laws read like you know all my books, and when she read um, Akatar the first time, the the first thing she asked me was, "Were these sex scenes inspired by you and Josh?" <laughs> <gasps> no. Oh my 
God, we're talking about your son, first of all. And no, like, no, I'm not like banging him and taking notes on like, you know, positions. Um, I mean, Hang on, honey. Let me grab a pen. Yeah. <laughs> I, but like, I just, so she, I mean, yeah, she's, she's cool with that. Oh. Thankfully she has not asked me that question since then. Um, but oh. yeah, that was like, but that, that was like my first book with an actual like sex, like on the page sex scene in it. So I guess like, people a lot of my family had a lot of questions for me (laughs) (laughs) you have like a like a press conference for your family (laughs) yeah thanksgiving i got up and made a speech game on i always ask this question all right what books that you've enjoyed do you want to tell people about give us all your romance recs tell us all the books oh man Okay. Books that I would recommend to anyone. Um, I mean, if you like YA, I read this book called Serpent and Dove by Shelby Mahern. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, where that's like a, like a hate to love romance and like really cool world building. Like it's about like witches and like the elite witch hunters who are sworn to kill them. And like a, a witch in hiding gets married to one of these witch hunters. So it's like a marriage of convenience type plot um and he has no idea that she's a witch um and that like if if she's found out like he has to kill her um and so they like you know slowly fall in love like two enemies slowly fall in love um and i just like i got that an arc of that book and i you know it arrived on my doorstep and i meant just to skim the first you know paragraph like as i opened the package and then you know, jump ahead and it's one in the morning and I haven't put the book down. Um, Oops. It was, I loved that book. I mean, I love anything by Nalini Singh, like her Guild Hunter series, um, her so good. books. Um, she has a new, like a new thriller, Madness of Sunshine. That's like, I, she's so fucking talented. Um, I, I like, I want everyone to read all of Nalini Singh's books. Like, cause I think, I mean, her world building brilliant um I mean, please tell JR. me you read alona andrews uh yes the magic i've read the magic bites the kate daniels you need to read the hidden legacy series it's like yeah. magical houses set in urban fantasy houston oh my god okay yes yes <laughs> i am here for that i will add that to the list. um well i mean karen marie moaning's fever series is one of my favorite series um, ever Mac, the main character's evolution from this southern, you know, party girl esque person to this badass warrior um, is probably my favorite like character arc of all time. I just recently reread um, uh, the Wallflowers series by um, Lisa. Do you have a favorite? Um, I don't know. Maybe the is it the devil? Devil in Winter Devil in is Winter. like the standout favorite. Yeah, I mean that that prop. I mean that yeah, that one I think is my favorite. Um, that was like when I like when I wanted when I decided to reread them. It was because I wanted to get to that book <laughs> again. Uh, but I love all of them. I mean i I devoured the series so fast the first time that I think I missed a lot of the female empowerment elements of it. Um, and then when I read it the second time, I was like, man, like this is just like brilliant. And I, I just re- I moved into a new house, um, in the past two years, but again, Gollum writing in my cave, I never like go out. So I, I just recently met two of my neighbors who are also 
um, moms and they love to read. And so I was, we went out for drinks and I was like gushing to them about the wallflowers books. And I just got like a text from one of them being like, I'm already on book three. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, well done. Yeah, so I'm like excited to like spread the word about, cause like she had never read historical rom- She's read his like historical books, but like never mm-hmm. historical romance. And I was like, Oh honey, like welcome to this amazing, amazing world. Um, yeah. And what else did I read recently? Oh, I read a book. I mean, this wasn't like recent. This just shows you like how little reading I've done lately. Um, Evie Drake starts over. Is that Evie Drake? Yes. Evie Drake starts over. I actually, I loved that book. I love, I love that. There's something like very cozy about that book, which I can't. Yes. I like, I love those books where it's like, I don't know. I just feel like cozy reading it and like you can curl up in bed and read it and like, I don't know. I I, I actually want to read that book again just because I loved it so much. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Sarah J. Mass for hanging out with us and having such an incredibly thoughtful and wonderful conversation. I keep using the word wonderful and that's the best one I can come up with. If you would like to find her, you can find her at her website, sarahjmass.com. On Instagram, she's therealsjmass. And you can find out upcoming tour information at worldofsarahjmass.com slash events. I will have links to all of these places in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to join our Patreon and help make sure that every episode is transcribed and get early heads up about nifty interviews like this one, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. As always, I end every episode with a terrible, terrible joke, and I really like this one, which means it's terrible. Like, it's really, really bad. You ready? Here we go. Did you hear about the new band called Duvet? Yeah, Duvet. They're a cover band. (laughs) It's so stupid. I love it. Ah. And you know what? Duvet is a great name for a band. (laughs) Thank you to Too Cool to Socialize for that terrible, terrible joke. Duvet. (laughs) It's a cover band. (laughs) I am the most easily amused person, I swear. On behalf of everyone here, including my dog, who has been thankfully very quiet while I did this, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend, and we will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to listen to at frolic.media slash podcasts.
All right. I'm now recording our conversation. Do I have your consent to record you? Yes, you do. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, Amanda, I can record you, yeah. right? Yes, you can. I, I figured you were fine with it because we've done this before. <laughs> okay. I am so excited to talk to you. Oh my gosh. Levitating. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. I'm really excited. Oh, thank you. I, that that is that is so incredible. When when we heard from your publicist, I was like, holy crap, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe maybe I should make it a goal to have as many excellent Sarahs on the podcast in a year as I can. <laughs> the year of Sarah's. That's what I was thinking. <sighs> Like the year of Penny from Happy Endings, if anyone has watched that. No. I- have you have you thought about changing your name, Amanda? Uh, well, I have a cousin named Sarah. Um, oh, no, that works. And I was very upset growing up because the biblical meanings, like Amanda means beloved and Sarah means like princess. Oh, and yeah. I was yeah. fucking pissed. <laughs> I was like, I want to be a princess. What is this? Sorry, sorry. There's a, the dog. The dog is barking. Sorry. It's if you fine. We have animal noises on the podcast all the time. Okay. Oh yeah, my dog will definitely bark. And uh, what happens is the animals get a line in the in the transcript. So Annie will have Annie bark. So oh, it's great. Yeah. We love it. <laughs> animal noises. If the garbage truck shows up, like the UPS person arrives, it's great. No worries. Okay. Fantastic. Okay, so now that we have established what a professional high-grade operation I am running here, 